0: Excellent. I think uh, I'll start with introductions while everybody's uh, walking in. Um, our next keynote speaker is Yolande Dibenacher. Um, Yolandi's worked at f for the past 18 years, and has been applying her specialist expertise across a wide range of f segments. She currently is the Chief Imagineer and CEO for FNB's exciting fintech startup business called NAV, or NAV. I'm actually not sure. NAV, great and also the head of FNB's Innovators program. Her innovative mindset continues to play a key role in a number of initiatives that drives collaboration, growth and innovation at FNB. Previously she held the position of CEO for eBucks Rewards and Complementary Online Services, both of which grew exponentially under her leadership between January of 2010 until December 2015. eBucks offered by FNB and RMB is recognized as one of South Africa's leading Rewards programs with a bank backed digital currency underpinning the offering. Between 2012 and 2015, eBuck's active membership base doubled in size. In 2014, Ulandi also took on overseeing FMB smart device retail offering that focused on driving e-enablement of consumers. In August 2012, oh, August of 2002 rather, she was appointed as Executive Head of New Business Development, responsible for the conceptualization, negotiation and implementation of a range of innovations including the launching of f internet service and all of its African subsidiaries, as well as launching the only approved online sales offering of lottery tickets in South Africa. Yolani took on the role of Executive Head of Cons- Customer Experience in January to- 2004 to drive a holistic customer experience for the rewards program. In June 2005, she launched eBucks' new business development and innovation initiative, where she focused on establishing alternative revenue sources or streams rather, for eBucks. And prior to joining FMB to lead the eBucks program, Yolandi was involved in a number of leading marketing campaigns while working for the petrochemical giant Sasol. And this is quite funny, um, I think everybody knows, of course, this, including the well loved Amagluglug, and the launch of Excel Petroleum. She then went on. She went on to implement a cutting edge customer relationship management solution across southern Africa for retailer Edcon before joining USKO Software, which is now known as Bytes Technology, a JSE listed IT provider as a business strategy manager in December of 1998. Here she integrated and optimized the marketing communication activities for eight product lines. Yolande's academic background is that she graduated with a BCom in Informatics Cum Laude in 1992 and with a Masters in Commerce in 1995. And today, Yolani will take us through uh, lessons from a corporate entrepreneur. We look forward to the discussion. Welcome and thank you.
1: Okay, guys, I'm really excited to be here today. I must be honest, I've never presented to a whole team of actuaries. So this is really quite exciting in my world. Um, I'm very used to talk about innovation, and that's my passion and, and the energy that gets me going every day. And somebody asked me actually beforehand, do I take a lot of these speaker slots? And I said, I actually almost never do, because for one, we're usually busy innovating and we've got some looming deadline. But um, for me, I carry quite a deep passion about how important you guys are going to be in future to help succeed in innovation. And hence the reason that I must probably have more of a personal vested interest in helping and wanting to engage with you as an innovator um, than than any other reason. So really, really cool to be here today. Now you'll learn quite quickly if you get to know me that I am incredibly excited about the future. You know, I think never before have we had such an amazing opportunity as everyday people to be empowered and actively contribute to to, to creating the future. I think in the past if you look back over the ages, it was always a small group of very smart people that landed a lot of the innovations, but today the world has changed and all of us have got the, the opportunity to become um, a future Imagineer. And I think therein lies the challenge, because what I've seen over the years is that a lot of people would come to me and say, I've got a really cool idea, but I'm not really sure how to make it happen. especially. in a a big corporate. Um, And I think many of us tend to talk about innovation. I'm sure when you guys are sitting around with your mates, you're having conversations about, oh, did you read this? Did you see that? Oh, I thought of this really cool idea. But we're not always sure how to take it to to that next step um, in terms of making things happen. And I think more than ever, ideas are really cheap. I personally am one of those people that don't believe there's many new ideas in the world. I think a lot of the things have been thought of. I mean when last did you really hear of something that you thought, oh this is mind blowing, nobody has ever thought of that. But where the real trick lies today is in our ability to move from this inspiration, ideation phase to an actual successfully implemented value creation. And It's by understanding what are the tips and the tricks in between ideation and implementation that many things um, fall flat. And I'm specifically going to come from a corporate angle. I mean, how many of you are not in a corporate environment? Okay. so then I think we're in the right place today. Um, I think in corporate environments, many of us have got really good ideas, but what we find is that due to a number of additional challenges, quite often our innovation processes are really slow in corporates. And if you think about the competitive pressures that are out out there, I think more than ever, it is going to be really, really important for us to fast track how we get things done. And you can either waste a lot of time in your innovation process, or you can go about it quite quickly. So what I want to try and do is try and make this presentation as practical as possible. Um, I'm first going to explore a bit with you in terms of how you should think different, and that's most probably the really exciting bit, and that usually is the exciting bit in innovation, and then give you some tips around how to make stuff happening in in a corporate environment. So I think many of us in that ideation phase um, can go one of two ways in our thinking approach. Naturally a lot of us go quite linear. I mean, you will come to the office one morning and think, Well, in terms of operational excellence, if I tweak or change this, oh, this could actually work better. If I tweak this in my model, I'll get some incremental improvements and people tend to be quite excited about it and they still pay you a big bonus at the end of the year. But if you want to win in future, you are going to have to think exponential. And that requires a very, very different um, frame of mind. So. If you look, I just love this slide because I think there's a few things that explain to me better how the world is changing than this slide. So if you look at 2001, and the top five publicly traded companies by market cap, you'll see the stage is very much owned by energy and banking players. But move along swiftly, only 15 years later, and not a single bank not a single energy company, not a single big other corporate find its way into this world of platform businesses. And this is really where I think the big change is coming, is what these businesses are getting right is their ability to think exponential as opposed to the linear approach that we've become so used to. Now, um, I think what I usually like in in my innovation approaches is to go really practical. Um, I'm a very practical innovator. I don't like things to remain very long up in blue sky space. But this is very good examples just of how exponential thinking is finding its way into the system. Now, one of the most successful social media platforms out there is is WeChat, and um, you guys must probably know them really well. They've got a, a billion monthly active users. They've got 900 million daily active users. People typically visit this platform on average 10 times a day, and they send close on 40 billion messages in a single day. So really a lot of activity on this platform. And you can just imagine if you have a platform with so much activity, how exponential you can go from there. So this person is one of my absolute favorite videos, Mo, that's on my team will will tell you I show this video quite often because I think there's few things that so practically show how exponential platforms are making money, how it's being commercialized, and how people are connecting um, producers and consumers and and matchmaking. So have a look at this.
2: WeChat is an example of, uh, for lack of a better word, a super app. It's a Swiss army knife that basically does everything for you. It's your WhatsApp. Facebook, Skype, and Uber. It's your Amazon, Instagram, Venmo, and Tinder. But it's other things we don't even have apps for. There are hospitals that have built out whole appointment booking systems. There are investment services. There are even heat maps that show how crowded a place is, be it your favorite shopping mall or a popular tourist site. The list of services goes on basically forever. But it's not the variety of things you can do on WeChat that makes it so powerful. It's the fact that they're all in one app. So why does that matter? Hypothetically, imagine you're sitting at home and one day you notice your corgi is dirty. You open WeChat, hit a few buttons, and a few hours later a man shows up at your door with some shampoo and a big vacuum. Your dog gets cleaned and he looks great. You take a photo, you share it with your friends, and tag the dog cleaning business. You haven't left the app. Your friend who likes Hello Kitty and works a boring office job is slacking off at work and looking at WeChat. She sees the photo of your clean corgi. She decides she wants her poodle clean. She clicks the tag on your photo and orders the same service. Within seconds, the man with the big vacuum is on his way to her house. She pays him, and he's happy because he got paid instantly on WeChat. She starts chatting with you to thank you. Neither of you have left the app. While chatting, she tells you about a new hip noodle joint. She says, you have to come. It's a schlep, but you accept. She orders food while still at her desk. You order a taxi. She pays for the food. On the way to her house, the man with the big vacuum invests the money he earned from both of you into a wealth management product that's probably a little too risky. Neither of you nor the man with the big vacuum have left the app. Both of you arrive and the app tells the kitchen you're there. Your WeChat profile photo pops up on the wall. It's an old photo from the year you had that weird part in your hair. Of course she makes a comment. Your food is served. You notice your meat is a bit overcooked, so you snap a photo and post a disparaging restaurant review. You're already on your phone and you remember you still owe your friend money because she paid, you transfer her money. Neither of you, the man with the big vacuum, nor the restaurant have left the app. At the restaurant, there are no menus, there are no waiters, there is no cashier. There is only WeChat. By rolling so many functions into one single app, it's altered the concept of virality. It's no longer just videos or images or tweets that can go viral. It's a dog washer, noodles, all sorts of companies and products to get the push of a social network.
1: Okay, so you can see, I mean, this is just super exciting. I mean, how many times do you actually go to the office and think in a day, how are you on a platform gonna connect producers and consumers? How are you gonna match make people in a whole new way? That means all the traditional ways of marketing is not gonna be needed anymore. How often do you just think about this whole new way of selling, how often do you think about the value that everybody that enters this platform is authenticated, which I know exactly who is entering that platform, and they can totally contextually offer them the right solutions. So all of a sudden, the whole ball game is changing, and while you are still running your old marketing program and you're selling of products where people get their badges at the end of the month and their certificates for achieving their sales target, the world has moved on to this. So. I mean, this really just blows my mind in terms of how exciting the future is and how we are going to think different. The next one inevitably has to be around data and and the power that data has got. Um, You know, we all talk about big data and I mean, I don't think a conversation would go by in a day where you don't have some big data or small data conversation. But the reality is at the end of the day, us as consumers still want to believe that we have had a journey of personal discovery when we engage with you as a brand. And I think this is why this um, Spotify example for me is such a powerful example of how they are using data to still create that journey of self of discovery with your brand and at the same time create that very, very powerful emotional connection. And um, I think when you and I wake up in the morning, we typically think of ourselves as totally unique. I mean, how often have you woken up and think like, you're the, like the oak next to you? No, you don't. But when you get into um, a world like Spotify with 100 million customers, what you start seeing inevitably is repeatable patterns. And as unique as I am, there are actually other people that have got similar combinations to me. And there's nothing wrong with that, because what you can do is you can still create, um, you can create these Um, amazing connections with with other people that share my interests and all of a sudden we can create customer stories that become a lot more powerful than just putting a customer into a number so have a look at what they are doing
3: we have this tendency to try to manufacture a story but in fact, the stories are being told all around you. In our case, at Spotify, it's being told through something that sounds a little boring, data. We're able to look at every individual's listening habits and patterns. So we know the kind of playlist they're listening to, but we know are they inside their house or are they out? What time of day it is? What is their activity? Are they walking? Are they running? Are they in a car? And so we can tell what their asking the music to do. The data provides the signal and the insight. It's up to the storyteller to provide the narrative and the judgment. So this is the combination of art and science. Generally, people apply music to feel more. If you're sad, you want to feel more sad. When you're happy, you want to feel more happy. Other times, what we can see is that music is to cover and distract you from your reality. We started to see an increase in the number of playlists that were being created uh, by people who were planning to move. We started to look at some third-party data that showed that after each presidential debate, the number of queries for moving to Canada went through the roof. So people were experiencing something together, and their response was, i got to get out of here, I'm moving to Canada. So we took the two and we put them together, and we simply told the stories of people who were putting together moving to Canada playlists, and there were common songs on each one of them. And it's the detail, the nuance, and the weirdness that creates an interesting story. Discover Weekly is a personalized playlist that is delivered to 100 million and more people every Monday. So the playlist, if it's 35 long, if 20 of them resonate, then your overwhelming feeling is, I've explored and I've participated and I've liked so much. If we were to deliver 35 perfect hits, it actually wouldn't feel as interesting. People want to be involved in their own discovery. So with data, how well can we actually get to know somebody? Maybe even better than they know themselves. Most people believe that they are highly unique, that their actions, their feelings, their musical tastes are one of a kind. The truth is, when you start getting to scale like the hundred million music fans that are on Spotify, we see very common, very repeatable patterns. But that's not a bad thing because you can tell an individual's story and suddenly it will connect with 20 million other people. The output of that is they get me better than anybody else. We actually express ourselves far more through the nonverbal than the verbal. The technology will actually filter through that and provide a much more emotional resonance that will create honesty and a level of empathy that we haven't seen before.
1: Okay, so again, I absolutely love this example because when last did you use the data that you play with every day and consider what would be a really interesting story to tell? We are really going to have to get a lot better at creating those emotional connections and creating those levels of empathy with customers going forward um, purely because so much of our world is is so mass-produced. So the last video that I want to show you is um, here, now I've got a lot of things to operate. Um, is that of emotionally intelligent tech? Now, if you think about a lot of the content that's created today, it is all very much um, passive. It's not adaptive. It doesn't in any way respond to the emotion you've got towards that content that you consume. And this is why I like this video from Rona El-Kaliobi so much, because she's doing some absolutely amazing work in the field of creating that emotional connection with actually sensing your emotions and as a result then create media that supports that. Now obviously all of us can imagine the movie example um, but again imagine if you could use that when you educate or train um, pupils or adults. You know, I take my 11-year-old, he's um, acutely bored in school and I always think, imagine that the teacher could read his facial expressions through tech and then adjust the content um, during the day. I think it would really lead to much higher levels of engagement and less whining six o'clock in the morning when I wake him up. So um, have a look at this video. Some really exciting stuff around how we acknowledge the fact that tech comes with IQ but not EQ.
4: Tell me something. How does this make you feel? Does it make you feel happy? Does it make you feel sad? Does it make you feel surprised? Does it make you feel angry? What if I told you I knew how you were feeling without you having to say it? That I could see hundreds of micro-expressions rippling across your face? that I could understand them, react to them. What if I told you this was already happening today? Hi, this is me, your narrator. And this is Rana El Kayubi. Rana is the co-founder and CEO of Affectiva a tech company that teaches technology how to read and respond to your emotions.
5: (laughs) Emotional intelligence has been ingrained in storytelling since the dawn of time. You're using your face to express emotion, but you're also looking at your audience's facial expressions and adapting the story in real time. If they're interested, you keep going. If they're not, you change the course of the story, what we now call reactive narrative.
4: This is Rana's interview playing for an audience. Like your entertainment today, however, the interview does not react to your emotions. It's recorded, frozen in time. That's what is changing.
5: So in the past, storytelling was very fluid. But today, if you think about most of the content we consume, it's not adaptive. Today's technology has lots of IQ, but no EQ, lots of cognitive intelligence, but no emotional intelligence. So that got me thinking, what if our technology could sense our emotions?
4: You see, With emotionally intelligent technology, interfaces are replaced with faces. What if two people had entirely different experiences watching the same content, all based on how they felt? That's where responsive media comes in. For example, let's say a whole family loves mysteries. But dad is really grossed out by all the blood. Mom loves it. Hal likes all the romantic scenes, even though he says he doesn't. So dad's version is a little light on the blood and heavier on the comedy. Mom's is a complete bloodbath. And Hal's is a sweeping love story.
5: And so in that world, what if our entertainment could react to our emotions in real time? What if a story could be personalized based on how you're feeling? And I think that creates an entire new industry, really, for incorporating emotions into your digital experience.
4: Imagine. Stories reacting to your emotions. Endings changing depending on the characters you're interested in. Soon, our stories will be just as dynamic as life itself. Living, breathing, emotionally intelligent. An infinite number of personalized narratives, all based on how you feel. You see, you won't just experience stories. Your stories will evolve through you.
5: So tell me something.
4: How do you feel?
1: Okay, so obviously if I had that tech here now, I could sense how much faster or slower I need to go in terms of what I need to tell you guys next. But um, I think it is just really powerful to look at these three examples and just think about your day-to-day job and how you're approaching it. How are you thinking when you sit and you need to craft that model or that solution? Are you thinking on this exponential level or are you still playing the linear incremental game? You know, to what extent are you pushing yourself and rethinking the way that you used to do things? Okay, so that's the thinking layer. It usually is hugely exciting. A lot of people in innovation remain in this layer because it's so much fun. Um, But I think at the end of the day, you will never build up a a credible track record as a as a future Imagineer if this is where you stay. So where we go from there is then this whole planning and buying phase. And this is quite often quite a hard phase to do because um, you are all psyched up, you've read and researched everything, you've attended some interesting international conferences, and now you're back at the office and people have got their p targets that they need to meet on a day-to-day basis, and you almost know a bit of interference in their world. So how is it that you can move your innovations forward and and start landing that? I'm a very firm believer that the corporate journey of flying solo and wanting to get all the shine for yourself is forever gone. It is definitely a phase now where it is about co-creating and collaborating. And it is still true that a lot of people would love to come and work with you and co-create with you if it supports some of the targets or objectives that they need to meet as well. So what we, for example, do in NAV, and NAV, by the way, is our solution in terms of helping you navigate your life. So, um, We spend a lot of time with people that come from very diverse thinking patterns and put them in one room to co-create and collaborate. We spend a lot of time thinking about um, value propositions. And what we do that's quite different is, you know, up until now, people that are in banking have to admit we've been really, really good at creating what we term inside-out solutions as opposed to outside-in solutions, and I usually Use this example because I think it's the easiest way for people to, to land it. Banks are amazing. In F&B, we can honestly say we've been great for the last 180 years to land amazing home loans in the market. So we've gotten really, really smart people to work out what the scorecard should be behind that um a home loan, how we should price it, how we should distribute it, how we should even evolve those channels and make it more digital. We spend a lot of time putting out a really, really great home loan. But the problem with that is that is inside out. And there is no customer that wakes up in the morning and goes, Today I'm getting a home loan. Um, the reality is all of us wake up in the morning and think that something has changed in your life. You know, you've either found that wonderful person that you've been waiting for all your life, there's another new little person on the way, or sadly you've decided to part ways. And those are reasons that then need to get you into another property. And it's at that moment that a lot of angst starts for a lot of customers. You know, all of a sudden I start realising I don't want to sell for too little or buy for too much. I'm starting wondering about what area I should buy in. You know, for a lot of people, if you tell them a property is 2.35 million rand, they've got no idea what that means in terms of monthly repayments, what it means in terms of hidden costs, etc., etc., etc. So all of a sudden, as a bank. We look at the world that way and we know that we can develop solutions that are totally outside in, that really starts with the customer first and help them solve on that whole journey. And the beauty of that is we've actually gotten a lot of people really, really excited about the future because the problem is so real and so many people experience it. So it's even internally easy for people to connect with what we are trying to achieve from an innovation perspective. So we are also quite clear in our heads in terms of the importance of building that business, guys. There's no way that if you sit around in a corporate and you've got a really, really cool idea that people are going to jump up and down to deliver on it. So again, I think a really important part for us is a gap in the market doesn't necessarily mean there's a market in the gap. Sadly but truly, there is a lot of really cool ideas and you can keep yourself busy with a lot of cool stuff, but that's not necessarily going to give you the results. Having said that, I think... One of the changes in business case thinking that has to come about is your ability to understand the value of data that you collect along the way and what that could mean for you in terms of future results, delivering more meaningful results um, to customers. And then we have also in our business cases, those of you that are very entrenched in, in innovation, um, quite often your business partners or stakeholders will ask you, you know, but what are you going to give me for what type of money? So we draw direct correlations between this resource pool will give you that delivery. And you can then up or down f- throttle that. And we found that it was a very easy trick to, to quickly grow the very small budget that they entrust to us the first year. Um, we also believe that if you want to innovate, you have to try and make whatever is floating in your head as tangible as possible. So there's a... a Definite joke going around in, in f and at the moment, and they say everybody that works on the NAV team think in screens because all the solutions we deliver is either on app or online. And the reason we do that is, you know, if I just tell you the solution of, you know, and we're going to help customers renew their vehicle license on the app and have it delivered to your door they go like, yeah, we're not so sure about that. But then if we put them, the screens in front of them and we show it to them how it's going to work, we really mobilize people and get people a lot more excited quite quickly. Coffee is definitely your new best friend in this phase. You're going to chat to a lot of people, more than what you could ever imagine, because... Change management is the one thing that everybody underestimates. It just takes a lot longer. I call it a snail in the race. And that is the one part where a lot of the Imagineers on my team quite often will go to me, I never thought it was going to take this long to convince people. So you actually have to invest in that and plan that into, into your thinking. Right. Then, I know many of us, when we come up with this grand idea, want to deliver something that is absolutely ben her and all out there, but there is nothing, if you take nothing out of this whole session today, just take this one bit. If you have got no runs on the board and you have no credibility, then delivering the quick runs is what will make all the difference. And I cannot stress this enough. I see there's a few of you that go like this. I think you've all been in that situation. Um, So it's very important. Equally, we understand the ben her. We understand where we want to end up from a 10x perspective, but landing some of those first Quick wins gets people to support us um, a lot more. We really, really mobilize around those quick wins. And we also make sure that whatever it is we put into those initial phases has got a very strong value proposition in its own right. So usually business doesn't get very excited if you go, ah, this is a building block. And then when we get to 3.0, that's where you're going to see a nice billboard coming out. They don't care about that. They want to see a billboard in 1.0, especially if you work in FNB. Um, Yeah, I mean, even in a corporate, you know, obviously there is more resources available for innovation, but we found over the years that quite often in the first year, they ain't going to give you the the big budget. And that's okay, because in a way it also takes some of the pressure off you, you know, it's quite okay in the first year to then organize yourself, group yourself and deliver some of these quick wins that when you get more budget the next year, you are actually geared then to go faster as well. we very much make sure that we communicate at all levels. We, we believe that you can't just tell the big oaks in the room what's the wins. You actually need to get everybody excited about some of the stuff that you are doing. But at all times we believe that it's quite important that you need to remain humble because in innovation you are inevitably, along the way, are going to get it wrong. So um, we also make sure that we share the kudos quite a lot. So in the in the case of our innovators' program, we make sure that it's never just the NAV team that walk on stage if we've delivered on a solution, but really make sure that we bring everybody along, you know, and everybody share in those prize monies that come from other areas. And that's how you get that collaboration and co-creation vibe going the next time you wanna innovate because everybody feels part of that story. Okay, um, this is probably quite a, a, good, a good slide to bank somewhere for when you are in charge of your first innovation project. Um, everybody start off with the uninformed optimism. Everybody on the team is super excited to come and join the team. Everybody thinks that they're going to do something bold, big, and exciting. Um, Starry-eyed, and you get the go-ahead, and people give you the monies, and off you go. Yeah, Well, then reality somehow starts kicking in because you hit some potholes. um, There are things that you didn't quite plan for a detour or two. And, And it's quite important that if you understand this cycle... You just need to watch for the signs when you're through that valley of despair. So if you can keep the fox terrier in you alive, um, you'll start feeling eventually, okay, we're starting to turn the bend now, and, and we are building up again. And that's when you get to that stage of informed optimism. And that's quite a powerful stage, because that's usually where the sustainability starts kicking in. Now, I can't tell you how many times if people started on the team And I had to have these conversations with them individually to gently nudge them and indicate to them, you're now in the valley of despair, and it's actually okay, it's actually normal, Um, just hang in there, we'll get to the other side. So, um, in terms of that next phase, that comes with a whole new dimension. Because usually your innovations have now started achieving some results, and now... Everybody finds their way. Everybody wants to meet with you. Where people just check you out in the beginning. Nobody was so sure about you. Everybody now wants to come and meet with you. And I think what is really important in this phase is to, to really remain true to your vision and what it is that you want to try and achieve. Because, you know, in NAV, we're quite clear that we're delivering that outside-in vision. But a lot of people with the inside-out agenda now still arrive on our doorstep and see it almost as an easy sales platform. And we go like, no, we will help you. We will still sell the products, but at the end of the day, for us, it's really important to build customer trust and um, deliver contextually at the right time the right product. So I think, yeah, the roadmap does play a role. Formal structure starts finding its way into my world only at this stage. This is where I start forming more of the steer codes because I understand that things may go a little bit slower now because we're going to start dealing with the, with the harder things. But we just keep on delivering and, and be equally excited to share the load. These other people in the room, that are equally keen about what you're doing, and they also want to have their share of the fun, and they've got great people on their teams. So I think that whole notion, we're corporate teams, always felt we're the only team that can do everything is also gone. You know, Make sure that you work with other teams and bring them into the fold as well. And then refresh your thinking constantly. I, I think we've really found that quite often it's quite valuable to go back to your first presentations because you were proper story eyed There was absolutely no limitation in your mind. And you build amazing presentations of what could happen. And then you tone things down a bit when you got to the quick wins. And this is a time to all that out again. And equally also to see how the landscape has changed and what it is that, that you can be doing differently. Okay, so that is in a nutshell, most probably some of the quick lessons that I can give you that I've learned. And I'm sure you guys, if we open a bottle of red wine, can add quite a few to these. Um, but maybe just actuaries into the future, I started off saying to you that I'm really unbelievably excited about the value that you guys can bring in innovation. And, and those of you that know me better know how close I work with the modelers and the actuaries on our team when we want to get anything done. Um, I think you truly have the opportunity to be in that Imagineering space, and a lot of people ask me, what is Imagineers? In my world, it is the ability to imagine with other people, but then engineer and land land your innovation. I definitely think you guys are in a very exciting space to get involved in new employment opportunities, Um, you're very well placed because you've worked across so many different disciplines and that's something you shouldn't lose because I think it will give you quite an edge going forward. But you will have to be quite adaptable and open-minded because as business owners we're going to give you problems that you've never seen before and that is going to be problems that there's no existing off-the-shelf model that you you will be able to pull. there's going to be far less structure in your world. There's going to be um, the, the drive that we today quite often, you almost build the model and come and give us the solution. You will always, almost be in a world where you will, we will coll- collectively collaborate to create a solution, and only then will you go and figure out how the model backs what we want to try and do. So, your creative intelligence is something you absolutely need to feed. I can't stress that enough. I'm, you know, those of us that are parents, I really do a lot of work with my kids to make sure that they're not on tech all the time, although I see I'm one of those mums that are super open minded about tech. Because I want my kids to go and create and feed their creative intelligence when they're on their own with their Lego blocks or whatever it is that they're busy doing. So, you're going to work a lot more with unfamiliar combinations of of very familiar concepts, and, and we do it all the time. So even in terms of the data value chain, I think a lot of the time you guys use a lot of input in your data models and take it from there, but as a business partner, I almost need you to help me think about what data points do we need to collect on our journeys with customers that will help us deliver more meaningful value to them. And then I obviously need to make a comment around the whole man-machine component. Um, I think I'm very much with Steve Wozniak that says, you know, there's definitely this augmented opportunity where the machine is going to augment us and help us. And, and the reason why I can go with that model, because I can easily also see how the machine can take over from us, but um, I think we are ultimately the guys that wonder about the world and think all the time about how we can improve the world. And I don't think a machine has got an equal incentive to think about how they can improve the world in the same way that that we do. So this is my final thought that I'm gonna leave with you. I just love this quote. I was at at Money 2020 last year in Las Vegas and um, Ray Kurzweil, who's the father of AI, made this comment where he said, in future, the top layer of your neocortex will connect to an additional layer in the cloud. This will enable you to think exponentially. You will be able to think more profound, explain yourself better and communicate better. You will even be funnier so there 's hope for all our tech nerds i 'm looking forward to the day that i 'm going to be funnier, um, but I think this is quite exciting. you know What would you do different in your day if you know that part of that is just going to be sorted out? with the cloud. So go forth, think more exponential, do more exponential, because I think that is really where the future is. Thanks so much.
0: Oh, talk. Uh, I'd like to open up the uh, floor to any questions or comments that anyone might have. Right
1: at the back, yes.
6: I Actually just want to get your view on the emotional um, technology that they're going to now adapt movies and adapt your your multimedia to your emotions and what a great idea that is. I just want to hear your view from a yeah. Innovation's great, but there's always that the darker side of innovation.
1: Sure, because we're always worried about to what extent they can end up manipulating us as well. Hey? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think it, it, it's most probably aligned with even some of that uh, social media concern that people have got nowadays, we everybody has become so in tune with who you are and our Pinterest only show you vegan dishes day, morning, noon, and night, but you are actually loving meat. You just, for some odd reason, for a few months were really liking coconut milk, and now you're a vegan. (laughs) So, um, you know, and all of a sudden your world becomes really, really small. So I think I'm quite balanced in my view where, I must be honest, sometimes I wish I could just tell the movie to have a really happy ending today, because I can't do with a bad ending. Um... But equally, I think there is a place to be exposed to things that would push you out of your comfort zone. And I'm sometimes just worried that if everything becomes so controlled, that we're all going to become very one-dimensional. I do think the risk is there. Yeah.
6: Question, or has somebody else got a question? Okay, I'll run that
1: side. (laughs) Yeah, go for it. we Maybe just wait for
3: the mic there. you coming. Oh. Great. Island, yeah? uh, what do you think sets you apart from the rest of the other banks? So, if you look at the peer banks, I mean, FMB has been the most innovative bank for a while now. So, what is it that you think you're doing differently
2: from the others?
1: So, thanks. I'll take that as a compliment. Um, but, you know, I'm humble enough to say I think all the banks have got some great people in it and are doing definitely good stuff. So I can't really speak for possibly what they're doing different or wrong, but what I can tell you, I think what works exceptionally well in F&B is we've got a very strong culture of collaboration. We've got a very strong um, culture where we acknowledge one another's strength. You know, you can almost look at us, we're one body. And we acknowledge that they are pinky people, and pinky people are really, really good at what they're doing. So as a heart that's maybe not so visible to the public, um, I'm not going to try and do the pinkies work, because if I leave my job, then it's all going to fall flat. But our ability to function as a body, I think we really are getting better and better at at doing that. Do you want to ask your other question? Yeah.
6: (laughs) Just from change management, you mentioned that that's one of the – you can't underestimate it. What tools or metrics or techniques have you used that are useful in trying to promote change management?
1: So I think there's different philosophies around change management. And you obviously are understanding your culture, corporate culture, a lot better than what I would. But I'm one of those believers that if you want to get change management right – too often people are focusing on trying to get the laggards there. Now the reality is you almost need to bank it that a laggard is going to take much longer. So one of the things that that we've done quite successfully in NAV is we've almost identified um, stakeholders that we could work with that got this exponential picture with us a lot quicker. And people that had a lot of concerns and a lot of issues, and we could see there's not necessarily that same level of enthusiasm. Or maybe also sometimes just the priority pipeline, that they can't support us in the same way. We we try and work with those first movers. Um, and the one thing that I maybe didn't say out that much is people ultimately like to be associated with winners. So if you start getting those first runs on the board, and it starts looking like a winning idea, you know, I often smile because when I'm, around um, in terms of e-bucks people come to me and say oh yeah I'm one of the founders of e and all I think like is I've been there and I honestly can't remember that I've ever seen you and it is just because everybody wants to be part of that story and I don't ever say anything about it I let it go because that is just how you let mobilize people and get them excited and keep them excited you know people want to be part of a winning story.
0: Are there any other questions?
1: Just a general question, when you are busy thinking on a new idea, at what point do you start to sell it? When is it too early to bank in on that? And on the other hand, I find that if you think on it too much, you get caught up in the governance and the red tape and all the bad things that will keep you from from getting into the
6: market. So how do you jump while the market is still open and who do you sell to in, in that time?
1: Yeah, and you mean sell it to internally. Yeah. All right, so so definitely on day one, I don't sell to risk people because I've got a firm belief, (laughs) risk people, you don't ever need to go and look for risk people. They find you. The next thing you see is you've got... 10 meetings in your diary from risk people wanting to meet with you around your new idea. And then they usually end up presenting these very complicated matrices. And, you know, how does do you fit into that? And you just have no idea how you fit into that because you're not even sure what you're going to be doing. So, um, but what I really, really enjoy is I think, you know, people think corporates don't have entrepreneurial people. I totally disagree with that. I think corporates have got phenomenal entrepreneurial-minded people, and I quite like selling to those type of people first. We, instead of selling to them, I actually get together with them and just think with them and allow just for the thinking to go, and just try and understand what are some of the the hot thinking patterns that I can start seeing that's coming out. And then quite quickly after that, we'll actually then put it into a very structured workshop. So we've got a, a approach that works exceptionally well to get the best um, thinking out. And from there on, it almost starts flowing into a process. And um, by having a process that we've learned worked for us to get the go ahead, we almost follow that um, repeatedly. And what we find is there's often areas in the bank that now come and chat to us and say, how do you get your innovations out there? And then we can explain it to them. And and the big thing is you need to understand what is the process and the energy and the the inside track in your business that will create the right process. So in our world, it is very much about creating that value proposition with the business case that backs it, think in screens, create something tangible, land it, and then take it into... um, the relevant steer for approval in our world. And once we've got that approval, we then get priority it and it can start happening. So the thing is, you need to figure out how your ecosystem is working um, and just be super adaptable around it. But don't stay in thinking too long because you want to get those quick runs on the board. Okay. Great.
0: Thank you so, so much. Um, That was extremely insightful, a small token of our appreciation.
1: Thank you.